Well, if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever you look at a Bible on, uh, turn with me or press it into your phone, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, man, I'm pumped. I, I got so pumped about this uh, sermon in the first service that I really preached really hard. So I'm pumped but tired all of a sudden. So I'm like, Lord, help me uh, get pumped again. But I'm really excited about this topic, 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts for the next two weeks. All right. What we call spiritual gifts. If you're uh, uh, investigating Christianity, uh, looking, you're not a Christian, you're like, I'm just kind of checking out what is Christianity. This is great, uh, great stuff to kind of study it. If you're a new believer, this is really important for you to learn and understand spiritual gifts. And for some of you, you've been in the church, but you don't hear a lot of sermons on spiritual gifts. And I'm going to give you two of them here in the next two weeks. And we're really going to be zeroing in primarily in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let me read this passage really quick. And, um, and, and, and may God add his blessing to it. But 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1, just great passage. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I love that. He empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, let me give you a definition really quick of what spiritual gifts are, okay? Here's my definition. Spiritual, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. All right, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. And the purpose of spiritual gifts are to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. Now, what we'll be learning in the next two weeks is there's, I'm going to put them in three categories, all right? There are speaking spiritual gifts, right, for us loudmouth people, amen. Speaking spiritual gifts, you hear these gifts, you're taught by these gifts, you're encouraged by these gifts, speaking gifts. Then there are serving gifts, or what I call quiet spiritual gifts. In fact, happening under, below the line. You don't see it happening, but there are people who have spiritual gifts who are serving or practicing mercy ministries or compassion ministries. Those are serving spiritual gifts. And then the third, which is the controversial ones and the ones that scare us or freak us out or get us fired up, either way, are what I call spectacular gifts, right? And we'll talk about that. You might have, maybe you've been in church culture, tongues or, or uh, healing or things like that. Those are the three gifts. All of those gifts 
are for or to equip the church to carry out its ministry until Christ returns. Now, a simple way to think about spiritual gifts is kind of like what Billy Graham said about spiritual gifts. Really, actually, like the way he communicated spiritual gifts in a simple way. If you're like me, you just need something simple to remember to, re- to remember kind of the idea of spiritual gifts. But every Christian is called to build up the body of Christ, the church, and spiritual gifts are the tools. That each believer has been given and each believer is given different tools to help build up the body of Jesus Christ. That's what spiritual gifts are. Now the amazing thing about the teaching of spiritual gifts in the Bible is this. God wants to use you as an agent of his power and blessing in this world to other people. God wants you, imagine this now, the God of the universe wants to use you as an agent by which he works through to be a blessing to people in this world. That's a powerful idea. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy, he says, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In fact, we are encouraged to fan into flame the gifts that God has given to us. You might say talents that God has given to us to be a blessing for his glory to people in this world. You are uniquely made by God to be the light of the world. You are uniquely made to be salt of the earth. You are uniquely made to be an ambassador by which God pours out his love and blessing into other people's lives. What a remarkable thing. And Paul is saying, fan into flame the gift that God has given to you. When I was a little little dude, uh, you're like, you're still a little dude, but you know what I mean. When I was a little dude, my grandparents had one of those big fireplaces, you know. How many of y'all have a big fireplace? Good, I don't get to covet anybody today. That's good. Big fireplace. And he had one of those, those accordion-looking fanners. Do you know what I'm talking about? It looks like an accordion. And you push it, and it pushes that wind. And my grandfather, my papa, he'd say, go get, go get the fanner and fan in the flame, the fire. And I'd be like, all right, papa. And I'd go get it, and it's like... Push, push, push. You know what I mean? Pointing at the fireplace, and that fire would just start stoking and stoking and get fire. You know what I'm saying? They're like, fire, fire, go, go. You know what I mean? And spiritually, God wants you to wake up, to fan in the flame the unique gift that he's given to you to be a blessing to the world. And listen, we have these gifts until Christ returns, 1 Corinthians 1.7 tells us. And there's urgency. There is an expiration date on this world. And we can't, it's not like a milk cart. You can't go find where that date's at. But there is an hour and a day when Jesus is coming back. And he says, between now and then, and by the way, our life is short. Now and then, either before you leave this earth through death or before Jesus comes back, we are to use our spiritual gifts to glorify God, to bless people. So when we get to heaven to live with Jesus, there will be people there who said, because of you and your gift in the church, I was blessed. I was brought to God. I was given clarity in a world of confusion. I was given security in a heart of insecurity. I was served because of you. You you were made in the image of God. 
You are sovereignly put in the time you live in for a purpose. You, you are not an accident. The place where it's not an accident, you're in central Illinois. It's, it, it might feel like that when winter comes, but it's not an accident. You were made and equipped for your time to be a blessing for God, to take the timeless reality of who God is and what his good news is and to apply it to your time. Fan into flame the gifts that you have had. And you're like, well, how are we going to do that for the next two weeks? How are we going to fan into flame these gifts? How are we going to get fired up and learn about what our spiritual gifts are? I would say this, that what we're going to focus on today is we want to fan into flame the gifts that God has given to us through understanding. It's like awareness time. It's time to get some knowledge. It's time to get some understanding about spiritual gifts and the, and the way that we are to think about spiritual gifts. That's really what 1 Corinthians 12 does. Paul is speaking to a church in a city called Corinth. And here's the thing about this church. All the way back in, that, in those earliest days of Christianity. And this church, this might surprise you, was completely dysfunctional. In fact, when you read about this church that was being written to in the New Testament, if you have a church or you've come from a dysfunctional church, it's very encouraging because they make any church that you've experienced look like awesome. They were so messed up. They were messed up in every way. They were messed up with immorality. They were messed up with arrogance and boasting. There was people in this church who said, I'm more spiritual than you are. I'm better than you are. There were people who made other people feel like they were small and insecure. And insecure people who refused to believe that God was doing great things. And they were just messed up. They had leadership issues. There were some people in this church who said, I follow Paul. And then there was other people who said, oh, I follow Apollos. And it was competition. Can you imagine? And we've talked about before in Crosspoint Church, we, we have a lot of people here who have been hurt by dysfunctional churches. Some of us are coming here trying to get healed up. That was how that church was. It was a bunch of people who needed to be healed of some deep hurts. And what Paul is trying to communicate to them is he's trying to communicate them a unity wrought in the gospel. And one of the things that was bringing about division was spiritual gifts. Because some people had spectacular spiritual gifts like tongues and healing and power. And those people who were healing people and doing spectacular things, they were saying, Hey, I'm really spiritual. I'm big time stuff. All the preachers and all the teachers and all the so-called anointed people in the church were kind of flaunting their gifts and saying, my gifts are more important than yours because they're spectacular. And there were other people in this church who, they didn't have the spectacular gifts, so they said, you know what, I'm just going to kind of hide out in the corner and not do anything because God clearly is not going to use me. And Paul's like, man, you need some new information. You need understanding so that you can get fired up about the spiritual gift that you've been given. So how are we going to fan into flame our spiritual gifts? We're going to do it through understanding understanding a few things. Number one, if we're going to fan into flame spiritual gifts in our, in our life, we need to understand what Christian spirituality is. What is Christian spirituality? Maybe one of the most important questions in the church and in the world. 1 Corinthians 12, that's what he's focusing on, Paul is, to these 
dysfunctional Christians. He says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I'm going to educate you. I'm going to give you some understanding. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's doing. People were saying, I have the Holy Spirit. It's pretty clear because of my spiritual gifts. My spiritual gifts definitely indicates that I am spiritual. Look at what I can do. Look at my talents. Look at my giftedness. And you can see that I'm a spiritual person. And some of you, you come from a church like that where people walk around and they're religious and they do all the rules right and outwardly they look like they're Christian and they sound like they're Christian and they dress like they're Christian and they, they kind of walk around and they have this air about them like it's pretty clear. Can't you see that I am spiritual because of what I can do and how I look and how I talk and the rules I follow? I am clearly spiritual. And you know what Paul's doing? He's wiping that idea out. out. He's totally destroying it. Because he's saying that what makes a person spiritual is not outward manifestations. It's not outward works. It's not outward talents. It's not outward gifts. What makes somebody spiritual is an inward confession. What is the inward confession? Jesus is Lord. In fact, the height of Christian spirituality has nothing to do with the energy or the toiling or the works of a human being. The height of Christian spirituality, which makes it distinctive from all other forms of spirituality, is the inward ability to say that Jesus is Lord. He breaks down our spiritual lives into two categories. Our life before Christ spiritually. And our life after Christ spiritually. Now, everybody is a spiritual person. Did you know that? Believer, unbeliever, made in the image of God. We worship the primary activity of the human soul and spirit is worship. Birds fly, fish swim. Human beings worship. We can't help but be spiritual. And before we met Jesus Christ, we worshiped. And we practice our spirituality in what he calls here idols. He was like, when you were pagans, hear that? What is a pagan? A pagan is people outside of the people of God who worship other things, who take other things and look to them to do for them what only the one God can do. Some of us, before we met Christ, we worshiped money. And we went to money and we said, money talks. We said material things. That's what is my savior. My Messiah is material things. I heard somebody say the other day that they have friends who say, my church is hunting. A tree stand is my temple. We worship. Some of us worshiped sex. And we said, I'm going to, through my sexuality, find my fulfillment. Find my Messiah. Find my savior. We worship the idol of sex. Or power. Some people look to politics to be their Messiah. They say, through the political process, I will be saved. It doesn't matter. There's a million different idols that we worship before we met Christ. Because God made us to worship. And the problem was not that we worshiped. It was that we worshiped the wrong things. 
We worship mute idols, idols that weren't living, idols that could not speak or be God. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. The prophet Habakkuk says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. The Old Testament prophet says we make things and we shape things and we carry them around on our back. And we say, this is my God that I'm carrying. I carry my gods around me. Hello, God, I'm going to carry you and make you and shape you. And you're going to be my savior. And how silly, the prophet said. You're carrying around your own gods? You have to carry your gods? You have to give to your gods? You have to offer your, your life to your gods? Here's the living God who wants to carry you. Here's the living God who wants to provide for you. Here's the living God that wants to put you on his back. And what happened to us? The Holy Spirit came when we were stuck on stupid, as my mama used to say. We were stuck on spiritual stupid, and the Holy Spirit came into our life, and you know what he said? We were spiritually dead, worshiping false mute idols, and the Holy Spirit said, Hey! Hey! And he called us, and he woke us up from our spiritual deadness like Jesus woke up Lazarus from that tomb. And the Holy Spirit awakened our hearts to be born again. We became born of God, signed in the fact that we looked at Jesus and we said, Oh my gosh, Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. Not my wife or my husband or my kids or my home or my cars or my money or my things or my sex. Jesus is the one that will save me. Jesus is the one that will fulfill me. Jesus will put me on his back. And I looked at him and I said, Jesus, I give you my sin. You are Lord. And in a world of false gods and factories and factories of idol makers, I saw Jesus clearly. He died for my sins. He rose on the third day. And I confessed him as Lord. And let me tell you something. That is the greatest miracle that happens in this world. When a human being can actually believe that Jesus is Lord, that is no small thing. That is the greatest moment of healing and miracle and sign of Holy Spirit that you will ever experience. When a dead spiritual human being says Jesus is Lord, that is a sign of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's spirituality. And that confession sustained in our life is the sign of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 In him, that is Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says that once you make that confession, the Holy Spirit permanently indwells your life. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You're never separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ because of the agency and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the church in Corinth, they were saying, well, I clearly have the Holy Spirit and you don't because I can speak in tongues. Or I I have the Holy Spirit and you don't because I can do healings. Or I have the Holy Spirit and you don't because I get up and I preach and I teach. And Paul's like, man, that is poppycock and boulder dash. That is ridiculous. 
Christian spirituality is, if you have the Holy Spirit and you can confess Jesus as Lord, you're as spiritual as anybody else. The point as it relates to spiritual gifts is that we can no longer look to our spiritual gifts to validate our spirituality. Listen to me. Do not look to your spiritual gifts to validate your spirituality. Look to your confession in Christ. Gifts are not to be used to feel spiritual or to try to be more spiritual. They exist to build up the body of Christ and to help other people confess that Jesus is Lord. What happens in churches, this is so important for our unity, by the way. You're like, some of, we've all experienced d- divisiveness in the church, and it always comes down to what really is spirituality? What really is a sign of strength and meaning? The sign of strength and meaning is that we confess that Jesus is Lord and I am not. And that will keep a church un- united. That will keep us on track. But the moment that we begin to look to works or outward things, our sanctification issues to provide justification for our lives, that's the moment you'll have divisiveness because we'll start competing with each other. And we'll have, have to have these big Holy Ghost stories. And we'll have to compete with our testimony. And, oh, really? You healed somebody last week. Well, yesterday, I look. I remember being in Oklahoma in churches. Man, the craziest things got said in Oklahoma churches, I got to tell you. Like, I saw a tornado, and I looked at it, and I rebuked it in Jesus' name, and it turned left. Oh, my gosh. Well, I looked at a hurricane on TV, and I rebuked it, and it stopped. You know, and then the stories get bigger and bigger and bigger because you start competing. And listen, take any church rooted in any kind of works righteousness, and you'll have division because it brings competition. And what you and I have to remember is that what makes us right with God is not us, but Jesus. Therefore, we can stay humble, yet confident. We can love. We can forgive. We can walk in community together. That's what Paul is trying to do with this divisive church. He's trying to build unity. He's trying to build unity by saying, man, the sign of spirituality is can you confess that Jesus is Lord? What a remarkable thing. I I wrote down in my notes... I'm probably being a little redundant this morning, but it's what happens when your preacher gets tired, you know what I'm saying? You know, we got to stop judging by outward appearances, and we got to start judging by inward confessions. We got to stop judging what God is saying to us by our outward circumstances And we got to start judging what God is saying to us by the inward conversation he's having with our heart. And he's calling you and I to belong to him. And he's calling you and I to confess him. And to let his love reside in our hearts. That's when we begin to fan into flame the possibility of spiritual gifts. Understand Christian spirituality. That's a unique spirituality, by the way. Here's the second thing. Understand. So I need to fan and flame spiritual gifts. Well, you got to do it through understanding. Understand Christian spirituality. Secondly, understand Christian diversity. This is very important as well. Kind of continues the same idea, but it begins to add layers to this spiritual element of how God works. And you see it in verses 4 and following. Now, watch this carefully. He says, now, there are varieties of gifts. 
And that word varieties is used several times. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. What I want you to note, first of all, is the diversity of God himself and his nature. The Trinity is brought up. All right, now, this is a little deep, but this is important. It says in verse 4, he brings up the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he brings up Jesus the Son. And in verse 6, he brings up God the Father. Now, this is, I'm going to do a little theology with you, okay? Really quick about the nature of God as revealed in the Bible. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he is one God. Three distinct, diverse persons in the Godhead, yet all of them containing divine attributes, all deity. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. And yet they're distinct persons in, the, in, in one Godhead. So we believe a three-in-one God. You're like, and, and people give Christians a hard time. Like, Christians can't add. They need to go back to their homeschools and get this right. But here's the thing. How can you have three persons and yet one God? Because they're so united in fellowship and love for one another. They're so uniquely tied in both their attributes and their communion with each other that the three persons are still considered one God. So we're monotheist, but we're triune monotheist. You say, that's really deep. In fact, it's so deep we'll never fully understand it. But here's the implication. The implication is is that the way God created creation is to reflect his diversity and yet within unity. He creates creation and human beings and all things that flow from him are like a mirror or an image of his diversity. And so when he brings together his church, the one critical element of a witness to the one true God is diversity in the community that is his people. And so as a result of flowing from the Holy Spirit, from the Son, from the Father, is a diversity or a variety of gifts in the church. You see, God doesn't want us to look the same. Amen? God doesn't want us all to have the same personality. Hallelujah. God doesn't want us all to be the same height. Hallelujah. God doesn't want us all to be the same color. Glory be to God. God doesn't want us to have the same amount of money or have the same exact giftedness or talents. He loves diversity because it reflects who he is and how he operates. God is able to take all the diversity that is us and bring us and work through us in diverse ways, and it reflects his power. God's able to do this big diversity in small unity. And the implication for you and I is that as we understand this diversity, we can begin to appreciate it. You see, diversity of gifts reflects, number one, God's nature. And number two, it reflects God's creative power. The power of God. Someone once said, it's kind of cheesy, but it works. Someone once said, God creates snowflakes, human beings create ice cubes. What's more impressive? Snowflakes, right? We create rock and roll, which I kind of like. God creates a symphony, which is far more impressive if you go to hear it in person. And that means that you and I, as we are diverse and yet unified in purpose and in worship, we begin to reflect God. You know, as a church, we don't want to reach the same exact type of people. 
You know, we're not like a church like, we just want baby boomers here. My goodness, that would just drive me crazy, wouldn't it, you? We don't want to just reach millennials. That would drive you crazy. We don't want to just reach rich people with deep pockets. That would be just annoying. And we don't want to reach just only poor people. We want to reach a diverse group of people. As diverse as we can be because that reflects God. And here's the thing about spiritual gifts. All spiritual gifts are valid because all spiritual gifts are different and work through different people in different ways. And we begin to reflect God in our spiritual gifts. God is working powerful outcomes in diverse ways. That, as you think about it, will fan into flame your gift because you begin to understand, hey man, I've got a part to play. And I might not be like him or her or them, but yet God has equipped me to bring my own diverse contribution to a unified body of people. Understand Christian spirituality, understand Christian diversity, and finally today, understand Christian humility. So I want to fan into flame the gift that God has for me. Get understanding of what Christian humility is. Let's pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and starting in verse 7. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Love that. Manifestation of the Spirit means to show the Holy Spirit. So your gift is given to show the Spirit of God For the common good, everybody's going to benefit from your gift. For to one is given through the Spirit, and we begin to go through a list. Now, the New Testament has 22, I've counted them. I counted them carefully last night. 22 spiritual gifts are listed in the New Testament. These are not exhaustive lists, they're representative. So there are many more spiritual gifts that are not listed in the Bible. There are varieties of gifts, he says. But some of these gifts are, are mentioned, and we'll talk about the meaning of them next week. I'll go through some of these today. These are some of the more spectacular gifts. But he says, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And I always put those together, wisdom and knowledge, because he says the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge. I think that goes together. If, if you have one, typically you have the other. How many of y'all know people who are street smart but not intellectually smart? How many of y'all know somebody who's intellectually smart but they're not street smart? The spiritual gift of knowledge and wisdom is the ability to understand deep intellectual ideas and doctrines and theology and then able to explain them in a way to where they can be practically applied to life. And they can do it in a moment. Like I'm talking to Fred and I realize, oh man, I see what you're going through in your life. And there's this, there's this great idea about God and what he's revealed about truth. And here's how it works in your life, Fred. And let me tell you how that works. Spiritually, we get book smart and street smart. That's according to the Bible. Utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge. How many of y'all need somebody like that in your life? They can help you. They can guide you. They can, they can speak into your life. Oftentimes, preachers and pastors have these gifts because it works well with teaching and preaching. Able to take big concepts and apply them 
in practical ways, wisdom and knowledge, sometimes and oftentimes unprepared. We need people like that in our life groups. We need people like that in our friendships and people like that who walk with us through life. Verse 9, here's the third spiritual gift. He says, to another, faith by the same spirit. What's this spiritual gift of faith? That's not like faith as in believing in Jesus to be saved. That's like faith as in believing God in various circumstances that are very harsh. In fact, when the odds seem impossible, when the mountains seem too big to overcome, when everything seems to be falling apart, the person with the spiritual gift of faith is right there going, I think God's going to work in this situation. When it seems like everybody's going to go down and drown and the ministry's going to be lost and the church is going to be lost and the family's going to be lost and money's going to be lost, that's, this is the person who says God's going to do something. He's going to provide. He's going to get us through. God can do above and beyond all we could ever ask for or imagine. God is at work even in this harsh circumstance. I don't know about you, but I need people like that in my life. I don't, I don't, this, is one, this is one of the spiritual gifts I do not have. So I need people in my life. You know, when things start going bad, I'm like, we're all going to die. It's going, oh, my gosh. And I need that dude to go, dude. And literally to say, dude, because I respond well to that. Dude, it's going to work out. God's going to pull us through. We got this. God's got this. Jesus said, you can move a mountain from here to there. With the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. The question is, does God still heal today? Of course God still heals. And oftentimes God loves to heal and bring healing through the agency of somebody who's spiritually gifted to pray and to believe God for healing. Is God obligated to heal? Absolutely not. If you have all the faith in the world, is God obligated to give us perfect health? Absolutely not. God is sovereign, but the way God sovereignly works out his plan is through the agency of his people praying for each other, and he works it through individuals who believe God for healing and who have a unique ability to pray for healing, and that healing happens. We need people like that in our life groups, don't we? We need people like that in our church praying. We need prayer warriors who are believing God for healing by the Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Does God still do miracles today? Absolutely. Of course he does. It's unfortunate the way that's put. It's actually the working of powers is the literal translation. And I like that a little bit better. God unveils his power through working of miracles to another prophecy. I'm running out of time. I'll get into that a little bit more next week. Prophecy. Also talk about the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's discernment. I'll talk next week about tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And some of the controversy that goes with some of those more spectacular gifts. But watch this in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually. Watch this. As he wills. He's saying these spectacular gifts of tongues and healing and faith and wisdom and knowledge, these more uh, outwardly manifest 
uh, 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 gifts that people seem to be impressed with. These are not coming through people who have worked it up or who are more spiritual than other people. These gifts are given by the sovereign will of the Holy Spirit who decides on his own initiative by grace to give those gifts to those people. It means that we all are to stay humble. Everybody say humble. Humble before God. And never in any of our gifts should we assume, oh, because I'm gifted or talented, I must be really important. No, no, no. It's the Holy Spirit giving gifts and talents as he wills because he's sovereign. What is Christian humility? Christian humility is two things quickly. Number one, Christian humility is what I have, God has given If you have something good in your life, love, marriage, kids, transformation, money in the bank, a home to live in, a car to drive, those good things come from God. Our whole life comes from God, and he is the good one. James chapter 1, verse 17, so powerful, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Man, look around. Look at the good stuff you got. Look at it. Look at the good people you got in your life. Look at the good stuff you got in your life. And when you see it, and when you experience it, and when you taste it, and when you enjoy it, know this, it comes from God. And all the bad stuff comes from another source, but the good stuff and the gifts and the talents, all of that comes from God. That is Christian humility. Christian humility says it comes from God. And you know what? I always say to people, I say, look, if anything good comes through me, that's God. The bad stuff, that's me being messed up. Amen? When I go home and I say to Sherry, baby, Sherry, I do say this from time to time. Sherry, did I destroy our church with that sermon today? And she'll say, no, but you need a nap. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You just need to go to sleep. Stuff comes to me that's not right. Things are in my life are not right. People around me are not right. But the good stuff comes from God. Let me worship him. Let me acknowledge him. If something good comes, it's from God. All that I have that's good comes from him. That's Christian humility. Here's the second thing Christian humility is. What God gives is for the blessing of others. In other words, he doesn't give me good stuff to hoard. He doesn't give me my personality or, or, or my things or, or my money or my gifts to kind of sit around and kind of feel important or feel good. He gives it to me to release it, to let it go, to let other people enjoy the good things that I have. If I have something good from God, it's for other people. It's not for myself. That's Christian humility. See, cultural humility is people who are quiet and floor mats and they just don't say anything. Just gotta, they don't they'll rock the boat. They don't get, they just gotta. That's, that's cultural humility. Christian humility is I've got some good stuff that God's given to me. And I'm gonna let other people be blessed. Do you see what can happen to a church of people with that kind of humility? It can change the world. It can change the world starting in our neighborhood in East Peoria, in, in the state of Illinois in the nation and around the world. 
We can build up the body of Christ with that kind of humility. What I have, God has given, and what God gives is for the blessing of others. We'll pick it up there next week.